going here. I just want to draw your attention to something that's written down in the bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, please grab one on your way out. On February 24th, that's the last Sunday in February, we're having our annual general meeting. This is for all members of Halifax Christian Church. So if you have placed your membership with us, if you are a member, please uh, come to that meeting. It's going to be at 12.30 right after the service, so bring a bag of lunch or bring a whole pot of things if you want. Um, and join us. It's going to be a great meeting. Uh, we're going to discuss what's, what all has come before this past year, what's coming up this next year. We're going to uh, approve our, our trustees and our elders and all kinds of wonderful things. And if you've never been to a meeting before, i got to tell you, it's an awful lot of fun seconding motions. All right? I always play this game every year. You try to get your name in the book as many times as you can, seconding motions. A lot of fun. You don't want to miss that. Uh, so like I said, that's the 24th. Uh, please be here. Now, I have another question for you. Does your family enjoy puzzles? Think about this. You may hate them. They're, remember those big puzzles that you get sometimes that are about 400,000 pieces and all of it is sky? You know, you've got, like, you've got this giant puzzle like this and along the bottom you have like a, a Dutch village or something like that. And then on the top you have a little peaceful cloud coming in and in the corner is a bird and the rest of it is just blue sky. And if you have a really good eye, maybe it's a, a lighter blue over here and a darker blue on this side. But those puzzles are infuriating. Now, my family, uh, every year my mom would like to get a puzzle, and she'd like our family to sit down and do it together. You can imagine, this wasn't a bonding experience for us. This was kind of a horrific experience for our whole family. Because you, you'd rush, and you try to do all the edges really quick, and then, you know, you, you saw the, the town and the village at the bottom, so you quickly put all those pieces in, and then came the long, slogging months of trying to figure out where the rest of those blue pieces fit. And I was that jerky little kid that would steal some of the pieces and like hide them somewhere. You know, so you get to, you're almost finished the puzzle and then you're realizing there's more spaces than there are pieces. And I would come back later on, like maybe the next day, and be like, look at what I have! And I'd be the one to finish the puzzle and then the sister would be really mad and then the mom would be mad at us. And yeah, it was just great times. Great, great times. But every puzzle has a solution. Every Every picture that's put before us, if there's a missing part, there's an answer to that problem that's right there, isn't there? And sometimes that answer can be hard to see, sometimes it's very easy to see, but every puzzle has an answer. Now Luke, while he's writing his gospel, he wants us to see that there's an answer to the problem. He wants us to see that there is an answer to the puzzle. And we're going to keep going in Luke. We've been in this, this book for the past few weeks. And uh, we just finished up chapter 4. So let's take a look here. We're in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. If you have your Bible, please flip open to that right now. Verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Now, I just want to take a second here. It's important for us to understand that leprosy is a big deal, especially to Old Testament believers. Okay, So Jesus hasn't established the church or anything yet, so we are dealing with, with Jewish faith. Now, the Jews had some laws concerning leprosy and what they were supposed to do with leprous people. If you want to know all the specifics of that, go back to the book of Leviticus and look at chapters 13, 14, and 15. They deal exclusively with all the laws and everything they're supposed to do to, to cleanse themselves and to to uh, keep themselves safe. But it's important for us to know, lepers were supposed to stay outside of the city. Ever heard the phrase, a leper colony? 
It's a good idea, right? You keep the people with the infectious skin diseases away so that everybody doesn't get it. But these people had to live lives of solitude, away from everybody else. They had to call out, you know, I'm unclean, I'm not fit for, for other people to come near me. So it was a very, very lonely existence. And I don't know if you know much about leprosy, but it's not a great disease. Uh, there's a whole host of things that it could, it could be in Scripture, but real leprosy just... It eats away at you, and you slowly decay, and you're just dying from the outside in. And it's horrible. And it's a lonely, lonely existence. So this man comes running up to Jesus, and he asks if he is willing to heal him. Verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone... But go, show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now in this first story, this man with leprosy asks a very, very important question. He comes to Jesus and says, are you willing to make me clean? Are you willing to heal me? And this question is packed with a lot of information. It's packed with a lot of fear. First of all, there's some uncertainty. This is someone that has heard of Jesus. He's heard rumors. There's a guy out there who can heal. He can teach. He can preach. He's pretty impressive. He might be able to help me. So he comes to him with a bit of skepticism. Some uncertainty. Is this, are the rumors really true? Is this man actually able to do anything for me? And this is a pretty common occurrence. Even today. There's uncertainty. Before people have a real experience with Jesus, this is a typical question. You know, we get calls for help here sometimes at the church. And people, when they come to us, they're often at the end of their rope. It's their last ditch effort. And they often come and say, you know, I'm not even sure if you're willing or able to do anything. I'm not even sure if there really is a God or if He really is going to help. And this is the main question that they have. Are you really willing to do anything? Can Jesus really do anything in my situation? Do you really believe that God has the power to help you out? Now ask this of yourself. Do you believe that God really has the power to heal your sickness? Do you really believe that God actually has the power to fix your family? Do you think He actually has the power to correct that situation at work? Do you think that He has the power to heal the problems that are in your life right now? Do you actually believe that He has that power? Because you're asking the same question that this man has. Are you willing to help me? Do you actually have this power? There's also a fear that he brings that's rooted in the traditions of the religion. I just told you about some of the laws, and these are important to understand. But you also have to understand how people would react. Think about any law that, that we have today that we just we know and we take for granted. I talked a while ago about stop signs, how we just kind of ignore those sometimes because we're so familiar with them. If you were really familiar with a law that said you need to keep away from leprous people, you need to keep away from people that are sick, you would start to embrace that law easily, right? Instead of, you know, going and seeing and taking care of those people but keeping your distance, it'd be easier just to stay at home and not even go out there at all. If you were a religious person, you'd go out there to preach to them, but you'd stay from a far, far distance, and they'd have to call to you, No, I'm unclean, don't come near me. So this man would be used 
to religious people ignoring him. We're used to religious people giving him a list of things that he could have done to prevent his disease. It was widely believed back then that sin caused problems that came physically. If I sin, you know, my family's going to be messed up. If I sin, um, demons can possess me. If I sin, um, I, I will be leprous, I'll have problems. God is punishing me for my sins. This was a common belief. And so they had some bad experiences with religion. And coming to Jesus, they're wondering, is Jesus going to treat me the same as these other religious people? Are you actually willing to heal me? Are you willing to do something for me? And we can relate to that. All of us, at some point in our history, have had a bad experience with a Christian. Might have been a preacher that, that got under your skin a little bit. Maybe it was a Christian that took the do's and the don'ts so seriously that that's all their faith was to them, was a list of do's and don'ts. And that irritated you. Maybe it was an argument that you got into over anything. Science, abortion, homosexuality, anything. And that just turned you off completely. We all come to the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus with a whole host of baggage, don't we? Mental baggage. And we have to deal with that baggage and we have to wonder, is Jesus going to be just like these other Christians that I've met before? Is Jesus going to be like these other religious people? Is Jesus really going to accept me? Is Jesus really going to change me? Or is he going to behave like them? This is part of the question. But there's also another part. And this part is a fear that's rooted in ignorance. The man is asking because he simply does not know Jesus. And he simply does not know Jesus' nature at all. And that's pretty common as well. You know, a common question that I get is is about the nature of God. Is God, you know, it says that God really loves us. Is that actually true? And that's, that's phrased in a whole bunch of different ways. But, you know, I knew a guy a few years back. I was in a camp and I was just one of the counselors and I was leading a session. And he came to tears because he realized for the first time that Jesus actually loved him. He was afraid that Jesus didn't care about him, that God didn't care about him. He believed that God existed. He believed Jesus existed. But he also believed that God couldn't possibly care about him because he didn't know anything. He never prayed, never read scripture. You know, he barely, barely came to church. But he had been risen. He had been uh, raised, excuse me, in the church. He had had plenty of camp experiences, plenty of youth groups, all that stuff. He had heard the message that Jesus loved him, but he never accepted it because he believed that he didn't know enough. He believed that there was a whole list of things that he needed to do before God would accept him and God would love him. And he didn't get the message. He didn't get the story. He asked the question that this man is asked. God, are you actually willing to do something about this? He was ignorant. It's not his fault. He didn't know. But I have to tell him, and I have to tell you today, God actually does know. He knows you very, very well. He knows you very, very intimately. He doesn't want just a passing relationship. He doesn't want you to think that just because you don't know Him that you should just never try. He wants to get to know you. It says in Scripture that He knits you together in your mother's womb. It says that He knows every hair on your head. Believe it or not, Jesus actually knows your name. And He knows you intimately. And He's asking if you will come to Him. Now Jesus goes about and He heals this man. And then He does something unexpected. He says, I want you 
to go back into town. Don't tell anybody what I did. But instead, go and bring yourself to the place that you're supposed to go to according to the laws. And I want you to go and show yourself to the priest like you're supposed to according to the law. And I want you to do everything that the law tells you to do. And that will be a testimony to the people that are there. He says the, the book of God, the word of God, will actually restore you to the community that you belong in. And I think he does this for a very specific reason. I think he does this because he wants to show that this healing, this came from God. Jesus doesn't want to come and become a new problem. He wants to come and show that he is the same as God that came before. He's fulfilling what came before. He's making it right. And he's restoring this guy to the community. And he wants this guy to show that, that God is the same before and God is the same now. He's not coming to change it. He's not coming to break it. He's coming to make it right. And this guy is supposed to go and do all these laws so that people can see that this healing is pure and good. You know, in those times, they could go off, you know, you come back from, uh, from being out in the wilderness or being outside of the city or whatever where people can't really see you, and he comes back and he's completely healed. People would ask all kinds of questions. Well, how did that happen? That would be a natural question for us to ask. And this guy could have said anything. He could have said, you know, I had a magic lamp and I rubbed it and a genie popped out and the genie gave me my health back. Or, you know, maybe this healing came from a demon or something. Or maybe there was a sorcerer and his magic made me better. Any of these things could explain what happened to him, but he wanted, Jesus wanted this man to say, no, 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 God made me clean. And because I'm following the laws, because I'm doing things consistently with what God has written down, my healing was pure, it was clean, it was of God, it was by God, and it was for His purposes. Jesus is not another problem here. And to show this, Luke actually gives us another story of healing. Look down at verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So this very impressive crowd had formed. They had heard of these things that were going on around Jesus. And, and things have changed a little bit. Before, in the previous chapters, Jesus had kind of small town crowds there. But this time, he's got an impressive crowd from all over the region. People from even the capital city are there. And these are all teachers of the law and Pharisees. This means that they knew the rules. They knew what had come before. They knew what was in the Old Testament. And Jesus has a very different experience with these people. Then it says that, that he had the sorry. Then it says that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And I find this a fascinating statement. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. He is God. So how come we have to make special mention that the power of the Lord was with him? What's that all about? You know, I did a little bit of research into that, and not a lot of people are interested in asking that question, I found out. But I think what Luke is trying to draw our attention to is what this power is used for. So let's explore that a little bit. Let's see where it goes. So men came in, this is verse 18, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, 
They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that can speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. So Jesus has compassion on this guy. And I want you to kind of get the visual um, he's in a, a house, I don't know how big it is, but let's pretend it's a small house. And this huge crowd is formed, and like people are filing out, they're out into the, the doorway, they're out past the entryway, they're looking into windows and all this stuff. And these guys come with a mat, with a guy laying down on it, trying to get in through the crowd. Have you ever tried to get through a really, really thick crowd before? Uh, one time I was in New York City, and uh, I went to a play, and it was starring my favorite actor, Patrick Stewart. You know, Captain Picard from Star Trek, that's right. Um, and he was in this play, and it was, it, was, you know, it was a mediocre show, but afterwards, he was coming out back. And all the people were kind of crowding around, wanting to get an autograph. I was right in the front row, so that was great. Um, I got his autograph right away. But these two Star Trek fans uh, were trying to push their way through the crowd. Uh, they had some VHS tapes of Star Trek The Next Generation, and they wanted him to sign the VHS tapes. So they were like pushing and stuff like that. Finally they discovered that if they just went around the side of the crowd and came up the aisle, which had been marked off with like cones for Patrick Stewart to walk down, they could get all the way up to him. And they managed to get through, and his driver didn't do anything about it. These two guys come running up to him, and you know, they were pushing these things onto Patrick Stewart, and he took one look at them, and in his most excellent British accent, he says, I'm not doing that now. <laughs> and he walked past them and just went on their way. Uh, these two poor Star Trek guys were just like, you know, and they were very, very upset. But I was very, very happy because I had his autograph. So uh, I guess Star Trek doesn't always pay. But you've experienced that, haven't you? You're going to push through a crowd to get somewhere, to get to someone. Um, and it's very, very tough. And you, you just want to be there. And so these guys, they know that Jesus has power. They've seen that Jesus can do miraculous things. They've heard about him. They know that he will have compassion if only they could get to him. So they pull a trick that I'm sure the owner of the house was very, very happy with afterwards. They pull off some tiles off the roof and then just lower the guy down. Can you imagine that? I mean, what if right now, in the middle of my sermon, I'm, I'm preaching to you, and then all of a sudden, from the roof, somebody just gets lowered down in front of me? That would cause a bit of a disruption, right? And so everything kind of stops, and Jesus looks at this guy, and he does something that no one expects. He doesn't heal the man. He says, your sins are forgiven. The guys who lowered him in, that's not what they were expecting. That's not what they were asking for. The Pharisees, the teachers, all the people that were in the audience, they weren't expecting that. And I can just imagine that he says that and a hush goes over, or maybe one of these. Right? Because he just said something that is very, very wrong according to Jewish law. He just said something that God alone is allowed to say. Your sins are forgiven. And so people get kind of uppity about it. They get a little tense. They get a little nervous. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, no, relax. 
What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up and be healed? And then he tells the guy to stand up and be healed. To show that he had authority to forgive sin. Jesus isn't there to cause a brand new problem. He's there, and he tells these people who know the rules, he wants the information to spread that he has authority to do what he says he's going to do. He has authority to really forgive sins. He heals, he shows power, so that he can prove who he really is. This got me thinking a little bit about our own lives. You know, I pray for a lot of things. I, I pray for friends who are sick. I pray for problems in my family. I pray for, for all kinds of stuff. And oftentimes, I'm praying for things that would make the situation right. And it's not wrong to do that, by the way. Please, pray for everything. But I, I often frame my prayers in a way that says, you know, I just want this problem to be rectified. I want it to be fixed. I want people to be happy again. And that's really the ultimate goal, is... is in our minds, we, we have a tendency to pray to make things happy or comfortable or fixed. And when God comes through and He answers the prayer, we get really excited. You know, we'll give Jesus an old high five or a thumbs up and say thank you very, very much and then be happy and just kind of rest in that happiness. But our happiness is not the goal. When that man got lowered down in front of Jesus, Jesus didn't heal him so that he could just be excited about being able to walk either again or for the first time. He healed him to prove that he had authority to forgive his sins. Perhaps the miracles that are in our lives, the answers to our prayers, the working of God within us, is not so that we can feel better about ourselves or feel better about our situation or be happy that he has helped. Perhaps it's to prove that he has the authority to fulfill his promises. Perhaps it's to prove that our sins really are forgiven. You know, we can go our whole Christian lives without actually believing that our sins are forgiven. We can punish ourselves daily. And thinking, oh, I'm such a terrible person. Oh, I keep doing this. Oh, I keep doing that. And yes, we do need to take steps to address the sin in our lives. But those steps should lead us to Jesus and having Jesus work on those sins in us. Not just think harder. Not just try harder. Not just believe and wish upon a star that I wouldn't sin anymore. It's interacting with Christ and allowing Him and His power to work within us. To know that our sins are forgiven and we can stand victorious over them only through Jesus. Perhaps those are what the miracles in our lives are for. And maybe the next time that we come up against a problem, we shouldn't worry about that problem. We shouldn't fear going into sin. But instead, we should remember the miracles that Jesus has done in our lives and know that He has the authority and the power to defeat that. His mission is to show that our sins are forgiven. And God frequently wants to demonstrate His mission. And this is where Luke takes us next. Take a look at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. 
Why do you eat with and drink with sinners and tax collectors? Well, I've got to ask this question. Who here actually enjoys paying taxes? Is there anyone that just gets... Oh, really? Well, all right. So we have one person that enjoys paying taxes. Um, taxes are awful. <laughs> and I, I freely admit that. I love it. I'm in youth ministry, and, and I spend a lot of time with teenagers, and I love it when they get their first job. Because it's different from everything else, right? They've, they've had allowances or maybe babysitting jobs or whatever. Um, and all the money that they've earned from those things, they've gotten to keep in its entirety. But their very first paycheck, they're like, yeah, I made like 150 bucks. And they take that paycheck and look, and the 150 that they thought they were going to get is nowhere near 150. Uh, they have that tax taken off, and then they get right upset. And they're kind of like, oh, this is unfair. Why does the government get this money? Why do I have to pay ER? What is blah, 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 blah. And then they just kind of, you know, get quiet and accept that this has happened. And then they do like the rest of us and just shuffle on through life paying their taxes. No one likes to pay taxes. Now, tax collectors in our day aren't quite the same as tax collectors back there. We're not talking about each and our block. This is something a little bit different. You see... Back in those times in Palestine, the Romans were in charge. This was an occupying army. And so this meant that they would tax absolutely everything because they needed money for their empire. So they would come to a town and they would demand taxes of almost everything you had. Your income, your land. And if you couldn't pay your taxes, they would take an equivalent amount out of something else. Perhaps a family member, or maybe your mode of transportation, some of your livestock. Uh, maybe all you had was a few chickens and a goat or something like that to feed your family. They would take those. It didn't matter to them as long as their taxes got paid. And what they would do is they'd go into each community and they would set up a local person to become a tax collector. You see, they didn't want rebellions rising up. Uh, so they figured that local people collecting taxes would be better than some guy from Rome coming in and making it happen. But this local guy, he would get paid by the amount of taxes that he would collect. So if you're collecting more taxes in the town, you would get a higher wage. You know, there's no conflict of interest there, right? So this guy would figure out fairly quickly that if he just charged everybody more tax, he would get a much bigger cut. Or sometimes he would tax you even more and then pocket the difference. These weren't well-liked people. And not only that, but the gold that they used in ancient Rome, the gold was always stamped with the image of Caesar. And what was written on that, that coin, right around the image of Caesar, would be something to the effect of, Hail Caesar, Son of God. The Caesars often viewed themselves as gods. And so right there, right in their hands, the money that these Jewish people were forced to deal with were idols in themselves, because it declared the image of someone else to be God. And so these tax collectors, not only were they dishonest, they were peddlers of idols. These were not people that good-standing religious folk should associate with. In fact, people thought they would become unclean just by associating with them. Just like a leper was unclean and outside of the city and should not be associated with, this is how it was viewed with the sins of these tax collectors. They were absolutely hated. And Jesus not only goes and invites one of them to become one of his disciples, he just openly goes out and hangs out with these guys. And he talks to them, and he preaches to them, and he, he helps them, and he, he listens to them. And this is what Jesus responds to the religious people of the time who are getting upset that he's spending time with these sinners. He says this in verse 31. 
Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, Jesus spends a lot of time healing people. He has compassion on all of these people for their suffering and for the suffering of others. But the reason He did so much healing was to demonstrate His power over this world. To prove that He had the authority to forgive sins. If Jesus hadn't done any of these miracles beforehand, would His statement about coming to heal the sick have landed with anybody? Think about it. He went to sick people and healed them. Then He said, We are sick. We have sinned. I have come to heal the sick. This was Jesus' mission in this world. Jesus came to be an answer, not another problem. He came to show that the Old Testament wasn't being thrown out. It was being finished. It was being fulfilled and completed. He was saying, I have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus came to be an answer to the problem. And He's absolutely not blind to our lives. He doesn't just look at us and see a whole pile of failures, a whole pile of sins. He doesn't see a leprous person there. He sees a whole complete person whom He loves very, very much and desires to be with. Jesus did things to prove that He had the authority to complete the mission that He was sent on earth to do. He told the leper to go to the priest to fulfill the laws in the Old Testament. He healed a paralytic to prove that he could forgive sins. To prove he could forgive sins. This was something only in the Old Testament a sacrificial lamb could do. Jesus spent time with sinners and Gentiles, and he remained absolutely pure. Just like how he touched that leprous man and he didn't become leprous himself, he spent time with sinners and did not become a victim of sin. Jesus was the answer to the problem. Jesus gave us a lot to think about. And one day he had his disciples together and he gathered together in a room. And he said, I'm going to do something amazing. I am going to become the sacrifice that you've all heard about. And he broke some bread and he took some wine and he passed it around to them. And he said, these things represent my body and my blood. He said, these things are done so that you can understand the sacrifice that I am offering. And he said, when you gather together in my name, I want you to participate in this. I want you to remember the sacrifice that I have made. I want you to remember that I really did come to fulfill a mission of God, to forgive sin and to bring you closer to Him. And every time that we take these things, we celebrate that sacrifice. We remember the gift that Jesus made for us. In a moment, servers are going to come from the back and they're going to pass out a small cup of juice and a little piece of bread. If you have a relationship with Jesus, I say, take those, hold on to them. We'll take them together and reflect on the gift, on the sacrifice. We'll reflect on the miracle that Jesus did to show us that He has authority to forgive our sins. 